Hi, my name is Ian Parry and welcome to What the Future, the podcast which explores what it means to be a future leader. We speak with interesting people about topics that matter. In today's episode, we speak about the energy crisis in the UK and what impact it has on the net zero challenge. Joining me are Sam Nicol, Alan Brent, Andrew Crossland and Andy Coulton. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. Hi, Hello. Um, and I obviously appreciate you joining us from New Zealand today, Alan, to give us a, a different sort of global perspective on, on today's challenges and for staying up a little bit later than everybody else. Great. Thanks for being here. It's great being here, yeah. Thank you. Um, so to kick us off then, obviously, it, it, here in the UK, we're, we're seeing sort of unprecedented gas prices and some challenges generally for um, energy companies. Um, Andy, if you wouldn't mind just kicking us off with with your thoughts on the challenges in the UK market today. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to say is it's been a, a really heartbreaking time for a number of energy suppliers. So I think, you know, 10 to 12 in recent weeks have gone bust by the time we're recording this. And no doubt, you know, there's more to come. Um, it's it's such a shame because that's people's jobs. You know, hundreds, if not thousands, of people have, have lost their jobs. It's it's such a heartbreaking time, and I think the narrative from the government hasn't helped this whole thing about you know bad 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 businesses, failed suppliers. Um, I think I think that's unfair. Um, but just to give a bit of context as to what's actually happened here, because uh, it has been a bit of an unprecedented time, just for for people who might not be in the know, it's really been a bit of a perfect storm of we had really low wind during especially August and September. Uh, we had um, an interconnector. So we've got a big cable under the sea that goes to mainland Europe. One of the, those went down, there was a fire at a substation. So we lost power from there. We've had unplanned downtime at various um, power plants, including nuclear. Um, we had an unplanned downtime from gas plants um, where we import gas from. There's been a massive demand for gas in Eastern Asia, so a lot of the gas has gone over there. Russia has been playing some geopolitical games, not providing more gas when we could. And all of these things has meant that um, gas prices, of which gas makes up the majority of um, you know, power in the UK, gas prices have just gone absolutely sky high um, to, an, as I said before, a, a real unprecedented level. So it's, it has been a, a really crazy time. And I think I think it's kind of shown the fragility of the system that we've got in place, if I'm honest, here, here in the UK. Um, and I think there, there might be a, a bit of a narrative around, we've had obviously Brexit and we've had these other these other things and it felt like, all oh, you know, we can deal with everything ourselves, you know, Great Britain, the, long live the empire. I think the, these sort of things make us realise, you know what, no, we, we need other people. You know, we still need to get our power from the interconnectors we've got with mainland Europe. We still need gas from... From, from other people in the in the shorter term until we can get you know a bit better with renewables um so it's um yeah crazy time and i think the regulator hasn't hasn't helped and i know some of the other guys on the panel no doubt will have some thoughts about that um but yeah so really un unprecedented heartbreaking times perfect storm yeah thanks andy um have you got anything else to add to that sam from your perspective um i guess for me, you know, it's a, a challenge in terms of gas prices, but the, you know, as Andy was alluding to, the, the narrative of what's been happening and why it's happening, um, we could use it as really an opportunity to talk about more renewables and resilience and energy security. And instead, the focus is kind of on the negative side of it. So notwithstanding, it, it's, you know, it's very tough on people's jobs and the reality um, of that. Um, 
there have been some poor policy decisions and poor regulation that's helped create it. But now's the time to start to kind of look at that and, and change that going forward. Um, not easy, but, um, you know, the, the saying in a part of the podcast is kind of never let a good crisis go to waste. But at the same time, you know, I don't think we'd want this, but, you know, we have to acknowledge and learn lessons of, of some poor policy decisions and poor regulation um, that's to some extent created it. Um, cool. Okay. Thanks, Sam. Um, and, and Andrew, from, from your perspective, obviously, you know, you um, have done some longitudinal forecasting and you've been involved in sort of wondering whether this sort of issue was going to occur. Um, do you mm. want to sort of give give our listeners a bit bit sort of background on what, what your thoughts are? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll, I'll try and temper my my uh, inherent anger about this. But, you know, I'd... I'd uh, I think this has been been on the cards for such a long time. I, I don't think this was unpredictable. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I sort of dedicated a whole chapter of my book saying this would happen in the UK and and in New Zealand, as we'll, we'll hear about later. And I just, I, I just feel there's been a, a series of policy decisions that have been made that have really, really compounded this issue. Um, one is, you know, selling off the or reducing the size of gas storage. The other is closing down coal power stations, which provide a great backup. As horrendous as they are for the climate, running them for a few weeks in September to keep the lights on and the prices down and keep suppliers in business isn't actually a bad thing for the climate if it keeps good suppliers in the industry and and keeps um, a very positive feeling towards net zero still going. <coughs> Um, <clears throat> we're um, seeing really, really big impacts of this as well on on energy poverty, and uh, I'm working with local charities here that are seeing people really are going to be facing a, a choice between heating and eating this this winter. I think Andy mentioned that gas is the biggest provider of electricity in the UK, and he's right. And without, if we lose some of the gas, we lose the lights, but uh, it also provides over ninety percent of our domestic heating as well. So. As we move into winter, it's October now, I think we're going to see a real crisis um, uh, for people who just yeah, just going to be cold. Um, and um, and that's, that's got really serious public health impacts as well as um, just, just people not being very happy. Um, but yeah, I don't know, Andy, you always have a good, good thing to say on that. Yeah, I think it's one of those, isn't it, where um, the blame will go to the, to the energy suppliers, no doubt as well, because, you know, the price cap, the, the regulators raise the price cap. So, you know, the energy suppliers can charge more, but energy suppliers are making a loss, you know, dur during mm -hmm. this period. Um, and I think, you know, again, to Sam's point, I think the, the, the regulator really, um, I have some sympathy for the regulator in some ways, they're caught between a rock and a hard place, but I'm sure there's, there was a better way to do it. And, and, and to your point, Andrew, as well, selling off our assets, selling off the, you know, the gas storage, um, it, this yeah. I think you're right. This has been waiting to come. My point on the suppliers, I think they've already had such a kick in, you know, through this whole period. How much of it really was their fault? Uh, again, you've got some. No, no doubt, yeah. there were a couple of questionable suppliers in there. That's that. You know, it's probably without a doubt. But I think of the majority of those that have gone. You know, it's through no fault of their, of their own. And and I do feel we're just in for more supplier kicking coming up over winter with this whole. You know, people can't afford to. You know, the heating or eating things. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's so hard to go blame suppliers. I think that's so misguided. It's 
energy is so interdependent as a country we're so interdependent if Qatar decides to increase double its gas price or has an issue yeah. with supply we're in trouble if Russia and Putin start playing with the the taps coming into Europe we're in trouble if uh, there's an issue with the design of the new nuclear plants we're in trouble you know we are so dependent on other people and it's such a geopolitical uh, problem at energy and keeping it resilient that it, to blame one one actor in this um, is is pretty misguided. Pretty easy to do if you're a politician to blame the supplier because they're the people who, you know, 70 million people are paying their, their money to, but the, the reality is it's a much, much uh, wider problem, I would I would argue. Cool. Thanks, thanks guys. Um, that's a really good summary of the, the, the challenges that we have that I think kind of gets beyond the headlines that we've been seeing in the in the papers and the sort of the simplistic view of the world that unfortunately most consumers have been have been seeing and been trotted out by by a lot of politicians so just flipping to another part of the world then and, and alan if you don't mind I'll, I'll bring you in at this point um do you do you think having having seen and, and observed what's been going on in the uk do you think this could happen in in other parts of the world like new zealand well i mean it's, it's obviously we've been following the the, the uk situation uh, with interest and you know it's uh, and some of the challenges that we think that we have as a country and I listen to to all of this uh, and then you think well yeah is that a challenge or not so yeah we're an island we have, don't have the benefit of being connected at least from an electricity or, or a gas connection perspective you know we, obviously we're importing oil but you know we have to make do with our with our own and so we're not totally exposed to to, to external markets. Mm -hmm. uh, having said that, you know, we mentioned the perfect storm earlier on, and and we've been ex experiencing the same here. Uh, slightly different, yeah. Maybe we might not have you know, international connections, but the way New Zealand works is that, at least on the electricity system, is that we have the two islands, and you have you have the major demand on one, and you have major supply from, from, from the South Island. And yeah, what we've been experiencing now this year has been, yes, yeah, it's been pretty dry here. So our, our lakes have been low. And so the supply out of our base hydro hasn't been forthcoming. And we've had, ironically being Wellington and windy, the wind has been pretty uh, mild this year. And coupled with just compounding all of that, our gas supply has had some issues. And so, yeah, so there was a constraint in, in oh. terms of uh, what would, could, could be supplied. And then just to, again, compound the, the perfect storm, just uh, not, must be a month or two back. Uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a storm coming over the, the, the country and uh, massive demand, and we just couldn't supply. So we had to switch off power to some of the houses in New Zealand, and so obviously that takes a big a, a bit of pinch. And so you know, then people start asking again this whole question about, you know, is the lowest price important? Not not necessarily. You know, if you, as long as the lights are on, right? Yes. And so that brought all of that in, into question. On the other hand, we in a market where the regulator doesn't want to influence the price to a large extent, and 
that there's been some questions here. I mean, so at the moment it's just running quite wild because it's just open to 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 whatever the, the market does. And so there's been some questions of whether we don't actually need to come back. In the nineties, we stepped away from regulating the market. Yeah. Now it's going to should we come back and start regulating it a bit more? Right. Uh, because clearly the market itself won't do what's right and not even withstanding all the climate change issues and so on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we can have an old discussion around clarity yeah. of policy and 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 for and for investment in the market as such. Cool. Thanks, Alan. And it and it sounds like then are are there people in New Zealand sort of referencing the UK's price cap as a as a model for good, or is that not being sort of mentioned? No, it's 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 uh, it's it's been going around. Is to say that you know, at the moment, as I said, there's no cap here. Yeah. And you know we've we've gone up to three four hundred dollars a megawatt hour easily uh, in in the wholesale market, and it's like somebody's making a lot of money here. Mm. And yeah, and and you know our consumers taking the pinch here. You know, it's not, it, it doesn't really filter down as yeah. such at this stage, but you know, questions in society has now sort of come to the fore. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Alan. And I know, Andrew, you've, you've got a, a real strong uh, understanding of the New Zealand market. Is there anything you'd, you'd add to that? Yeah, I mean, I just the context for listeners, I, I'm in the UK, but I work for um, one of the biggest solar companies in, in New Zealand and um, doing some big solar and battery projects over there. But I, I, I think Alan yeah, hits the nail on the head. It, it's a very it's a very free market in New Zealand. I think it's really worth people watching what's happening. There's no price cap or price floor um, in the solar industry. We've been asking for a price floor for a long time to encourage investment. But um, the price cap meant the market actually cleared at uh, $200,000 a megawatt, $100,000 a megawatt, uh, so £100,000 a megawatt hour. So that's uh, about a thousand pounds to make a cup of tea in one particular half-hour period in New Zealand, which is which is absolutely incredible, and um, it shows you what what the lack of a, a price cap can do in a market that clears in the way it does. And and um, without wanting to go into too much detail on a podcast, I would really strongly urge anyone in the, in the industry to go look at what's happening in New Zealand. But but New Zealand's also really exciting because it's got the it's got the uh, natural ability to fix this uh, and solve it and and um, you know, net zero is a real opportunity for, I would say, for argue for New Zealand. And uh, Alan, you might might agree or disagree with me, but um, diversifying New Zealand's electricity system with wind and solar, lots of it, um, w- could really help that island or help those islands um, become less dependent on their hydro, which is kind of the mainstay of the power. Diversify supply, control prices. Uh, retain energy independence, which has been so important for New Zealand, uh, and and you know, it, <laughs> and there's a whole argument about community energy and supporting remote communities with wind and solar. But, but essentially, the, the message for New Zealand, I would say, is right now you you rely on hydro 60% of the time. Climate change is exasperating the um, snow melts, which keep the lakes full. Alan talks about it being a dry year. I think I would argue it's been three dry years in a row, maybe. I've, looking for a nod but um you know yeah. there's there's a real need to diversify in new zealand and, and and it's coming and it is coming and that's really exciting and um and um you know just a, a great place to people to be watching and seeing what's happening cool yeah i think because you know as i said before because we we, we can't depend on on external markets to to to, to supply uh 
you know, what what all of this has meant is that at least, and there's all the politics and stuff like that, but, you know, so at least there's some clarity over two terms now that, yeah, gas is not going to be the main source, at least from an electricity supply. And now it's, it's taken some time for industry to respond. But we've had some really interesting developments, at least in this here, to start looking at storage, alternative storage, not, not the hydro, and, you know, at, at different scales. And uh, we just had the NZ battery project uh, kick off this year that uh, the, the government is launching to say, yeah, we need to start seriously thinking about how do we deal, deal with storage. I mean, this, I mean, obviously this economy is a lot smaller than the UK, but in a dry year, we need to think about four terawatt hours uh, of storage in order to supply. And yeah, obviously this, I don't have to go into the details, there's a big pump storage scheme that, you know, it's being debated. But apart from that one big pump storage, are the alternatives mm. and we've seen the the private industry now as i said in the last few months start implementing you know megawatts or 100 megawatt scale batteries uh, around the transmission and the distribution system and yeah maybe as yeah i think as somebody said it's you know maybe a, a crisis is a good thing it's just pushing us into okay. a new space <clears throat> just on that point then Sam, would my come in to you? Because obviously you raised the point as to, you know, uh, never letting a good crisis sort of go to waste. Um, and do you do you think then that this crisis has pushed us closer to, to net zero? Um, or do you think it's it's sort of blurred the lines a little bit and, and it's become a bit, bit of a bigger challenge now to get to net zero? Um, it, I can see, I could argue it both ways, to be honest. I think you know, there's a real, at least in the circles I'm in, a real kind of zeitgeist around, you know, COP26 and an understanding and recognition that climate change is real now. It's impacting the UK. It's not just in some foreign land with fires and floods, but actually the UK is going to be impacted as well. Um, and that's critical. Yet at the same time, we have such short term pressing issues. And, you know, as, as mentioned, look, podcast it's like well what do we do this winter and making sure people are safe and warm right and and those two things are on the one hand conflicting but if we get it right actually they help both so if you start focusing on kind of fabrics of homes and insulation and supporting the people that need it to do that but also they're able to pay with clear education good good education on the work forces and training and skills update and and really building their supply chain up and putting investment into into that and technology actually you achieve both goals and if there could be a, a bit of an awakening and a galvanization around the real need for that then i think it it helps us but if what happens is which is what i'm seeing in the media is pointing fingers um blame the blame the downstream supplier that have a kind of drop in the ocean and the piece of the puzzle to play um, will be farther behind and, and we won't get anywhere. So um, I'm hoping on an optimistic day, we can galvanize around the need for you know, investment in skills, investment in, in upgrading the kind of UK housing stock. Um, if you look at kind of carbon and the domestic issues, UK has some unique challenges around just the age of our housing stock. Um, and the poor, poor quality of the insulation and, and that. Um, and I think that's one of the big challenges um, 
that this that if we could sort and help through you know some real action on that that, that would help both causes and, and we, could, we could move forward well i mean that's 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 a big issue in new zealand as well right i mean I mean, looking at the UK, we sort of envious at, at uh, quite a few houses sometimes there. We have a massive issue in New Zealand with old uh, housing stock and just insulation. And yeah, I mean, the culture in New Zealand is just, if you call put on another sweater. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's not helping the poor communities, right? No. Yeah, you've got no insulation or very limited insulation, single glazing. I don't think I ever saw a double glazing window when I was there. Uh, I was sitting and, in my uh, lounge the earlier on, it was just the wind blowing through, I could feel the breeze. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. It's mad. Absolutely. It's a different world out there in terms of the housing quality compared to what we have. And we're in a different world when you look map it out compared to, say, Scandinavia and Norway. There's some great stuff yeah. going around LinkedIn at the moment showing insulation qualities in, in housing. Um, yeah, as I say, the, the cheapest unit of energy is the one you don't use. Um, yeah. which is a great, great, great mantra, I think, for, well, turning the lights off on people, you know, my family, but also, uh, yeah, insulating better and better energy efficiency. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and and Andy, is there anything you'd add to what, what Sam said there on that, this, whether this crisis is driving us towards net zero and helping? So obviously the UK government's announced a, a raft of uh, plans this week. Um, you know, is that is that a nice distraction from from the crisis, or is, is it a crisis driving those actions? It's a good question, and I think I'm a little bit sitting on the fence. Like uh, my answer, probably similar to, similar to Sam's. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful the answer is yes. This all helps. Um, I'm, I'm worried it may not. I think I think to perhaps go through the through the first bit. I think what what has been good is that energy has been front page news obviously there's bad parts of that as well you know people being scared and worried and supplies going bust but the good news is that um i think the level of education across the general population now has has increased somewhat i think people have started to understand how it all kind of works a little bit better and i think again there's been an understanding that gas has been a big part of why the prices have gone so crazy um i kind of suppose when you follow that through then well how do we get away from gas you know, the renewable, surely, storage, as, as Alan and Andrew have talked about as well, those have got to be part of the, part of the answer. So I, I, I feel maybe a long-term, yes. Short-term, my, my fear, and, and Andrew touched on this a bit earlier, my, my fear is coal. My, my fear is not just in the UK, but in other parts of the world where perhaps, you know, it's um, prices are even tighter and, you know, people are poorer. There's going to be even more reluctance to get away from coal, where, of which, you know, there's plentiful supply, Um that, that's kind of my my worry. I, I hope it's not doesn't come to fruition, but I suppose that could be a real a real challenge if gas prices keep going high and you know there's not enough investment in renewables. I think I think here in the UK, all the mood music and again some of the guys have talked about it. COP26 again. I really feel you know there's a wave of sustainability is here. Climate change is real. We've got to do something about this. And again, when you look at the data, you look at stats showing how many people buy tariffs based on their green credentials, you know, that's only increasing over time. Yet price is still the number one driver, but having a green tariff is, is increasing more and more. Obviously, we hope people know what's the difference between a kind of not so green tariff and a really green tariff. Check out Hope Energy. But um, <laughs> I think it would be so unpopular, sorry for the plug, it'd be so unpopular, I think, politically now, if we weren't to try and still push forwards for this net zero that yeah. I, 
I think I think I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful again, like Sam. I'm hopeful that we will continue in the right direction. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Andy. Um, uh, I'm just, I'm just worried about you know, as you say, if you look at the other parts of the world, we, we've seen what's happening in China, right? I mean, it's just a shortage of energy, and then you, it's a fallback. Yeah. So yeah, either there's a shortage of supply, or the prices just go up. Then, you know, people. I don't know, the whole sustainability and so on tends to fall back. But I tend to agree with Andy, at least where you in in your economy in the UK, COP26 is right there. It's front and foremost. I think there's there's a lot of momentum that's now been built uh, around the world around this. Uh, a lot of the companies, uh, you know, even the petrochemical companies. And interesting enough, we've had some of the biggest petrochemical companies uh, come to us now recently in, in New Zealand. Two years ago, they didn't think about renewable energy. Now they are. Mm. So, yeah, so it's a bit of a, we're a bit of a balancing act at the moment. I, feel. A, I think there is a big shift. <clears throat> and I think the, gen, the generation coming as well, I think we might have talked about this on, a, on another podcast, but I think the generation coming um, definitely get it more, more than our generation and, you know, and the generation before us, his generation. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, but in all seriousness, you know, they're, they're going to demand more uh, quite rightly. I mean, it's going to impact them more as well. If you look at the, you know, the Greta effects and everything else, I think once again, you know, the market has to respond to that. And, and I think there'd be, it'd be suicide for, for a lot of companies not to. So yeah. fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Yeah. Whether we get there in time, I think is the, is the, the key thing. Yeah, absolutely. So just, just moving on then to, to the sort of, um, I, I wouldn't be able to get all or this group together without asking, you know, some of the really critical questions. So, um, imagine that there's an energy czar, um, and 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 you can you can answer this question either from a UK perspective or a New Zealand perspective, or actually from a global perspective. So, if you were the energy czar of the world or the UK or New Zealand, that that's for you to decide. Because uh, certainly there'd be there'd be benefits and, and challenges to, to any any of those roles but um uh, starting with you Andrew if you wouldn't mind you know if you if you were the energy czar what are the what are the three things that you would you would do that would either get us out of this problem or would it would have seen that we weren't in this problem in the first place yeah it's a great question I'm trying to work out as well if I want to be the energy czar or not <laughs> or whether the world wants me to be an energy czar. That's literally my first answer was get somebody else to do it. But yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry Andy. Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. So I, I think I, I, I just, I've got three things, and I, I've picked a technical thing, a finance thing, and a, and a human factors thing. So I think on a technical front in the UK, we need to recognise our complete and utter addiction to gas, and seek to diversify keep a coal or keep a backup system whether in the form of uh, better storage um, other forms of generation uh, and also stop burning biofuel 24 hours a day let's use that as a backup source rather than as a a, a non-dispatchable um i think uh just on a, on a financial front um low costs of finance are critical to get these high capital investments through and um, I think policy needs to recognise that either through law pricing or just low cost money for investment in different technologies. And I think that's been proven to be a really effective way of getting investment and getting growth and getting decarbonisation and diversification going. Um, 
my last one though is a human factor and it follows through i was i was sat in a cafe in where i'm from redford the other well on saturday drinking a coffee thinking it's going to be nice and quiet and the next table the guy was the guy was chatting to his mate and he says ah oh, boris johnson's my hero i thought i better keep quiet i think we, we have different opinions but that's okay <laughs> so i'll just let him have a chat and he says he's my hero but he's his wife his wife is his wife is the problem she's too green she's too green i don't get it and you know we're, we're i don't think anyone on this call would believe that anthropogenic climate change is a thing but i think we have to respect that a lot of people don't still believe in it and they don't think it's real um but the one thing that unites us all i would say is energy independence and energy security we all want the lights on we all want to keep um power cheap and affordable and and don't want poor people to be suffering with uh, high cost of heating we see energy as an opportunity all the good things so I think it's really, really important to respect that there's a lot of people who still don't believe in climate change, not necessarily respect that uh, there's, there's a valid argument against climate change, but people do do take that. And if we eulogise too much about net zero, I think I think we'll miss some of the other um, the other opportunities and not win the argument uh, would be would be my view. But um, I'll open that up to the floor. Yeah, um, thanks, Andrew. Retire um, as energies are. No problem. Um, Sam. Uh, next energy czar, what, what, what are you going to be doing? Oh, it is a tough one. And, and I think the one Andrew picked on were, were right, because it is a holistic package. And I think it does differ um, whether you're global or UK. And I think one of the important things to realize if you're just the UK is, and Andrew touched on it, is we need to remain competitive within a global context. Um, so for me, you, the way you do that is around kind of investment and in innovation and infrastructure and finance. Um, so I'd focus on kind of skills training, um, education, and some of the things we're already doing, but starting to seed all those things for long-term viability, stop focusing on kind of short-term, but what are these kind of long-term five, 10-year investment programs that are going to get us there? Because um, it's not a quick fix and it's not easy, um, but try to bring the, the, take the kind of sound bites out, start some real long-term thinking and focus on, on that. Cool. Thank you, Sam. That's a really good answer. Thank you. Um, Alan, how about you? Yeah, so from, from you know, we've been talking about typically utility scale stuff here, but I, it's, I think we can take a bit of, in the developed world, we can take a lot of learning out of the developing world. And there people are, they, they have to be more resilient, right? They don't have any so any government or anything to, to, to fall back on. But we can learn from that in terms of communities providing their own energy. And if I was there, I would just support that. And what we've seen here with and elsewhere in the world, I mean, there's business models where people don't have to fork out the capital to pay uh, for, for, for distributed energy at, at households and so on, and participating in, in, in local energy uh, local energy markets. And we're, we're talking about local energy markets, community energy markets. And this, this is something that I think it's something that they've been discussing in New Zealand a lot more because this is a, a country where we're prone to earthquakes and stuff. So the whole resiliency of communities become more important. And uh, yeah, I would, I think this is something that we need to push a lot more. It's, uh, and we've even done that now. We see government pushing that uh, in, in terms of low cost housing. Uh, how do we make energy provision? more affordable to those, houses, to those households without um, relying on external on the external transmission system or whatever 
or the external market to provide it. And, and, and we have ways of doing it. As I said, we can go and learn from the developing world. And we have business models to do that. We need to support that a little more. Thank you, Alan. Um, and just a, a final short word from you then, uh, Andy, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I've, I've great points from from everybody. Um, I'll probably agree with, with them all. Um, the, the three I'd got, and just from the UK market, so it, the infrastructure, we've, you know, we've got to get more renewables. I think everyone has talked about that. Um, you know, the interconnectors, storage, I think that's a kind of no-brainer. There's got to be investment for that. I think there's a there's a bit about education as well. I think again the guys have talked about that. I'd make sure again people are it's in schools we teach it how the energy system works and the differences between how it all works. And I think again the a point we've already touched on is again the regulator. But I think that a point we've not really talked about too much, just kind of linked to regulator and infrastructure is the distribution and transmission networks here in the UK. You know they're they're privately run. You know they're for profit. Is 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 that right? You know is that a, a a source for debate you know should that be publicly run because again there's some studies out there showing you know they could run probably cheaper and there's a there's a citizens advice report from a few years ago saying you know a billion pounds worth of costs could really be eliminated so i think the regulator probably could look at that as well so lots to go at 100 percent, andy 100 percent. community-owned distribution company yeah the yeah. new zealand and, model yeah exactly there you go and community also, energy to alan's point absolutely community is the, is the answer there's hope. There is hope. <laughs> and that seems like a great way to, to end the conversation, actually, in, in, in you know, whether it's a, a global community of, of how we work together or, you know, local communities, how we can sort of break down some of, some of these challenges. It seems like, you know, collaboration, talking, finding solutions together is, is the way to, to solve <clears throat> the, the current crisis and make sure that the clearly future crisis uh, crises uh, become less and less painful. Um, so, wow, that time has gone really quickly. Um, thank you all for for sharing your your personal expert opinions. Um, I've really appreciated that. I know our listeners will as well. Um, so, thank you all for that. Um, and as always, um, thanks for everybody listening today. Thank you for choosing to listen to What the Future. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please hit the subscribe button. It really helps us out. Um, and of course, you know, we are a mentoring business at heart. Um, we're looking to help people. If you're looking for a mentor or if you're looking to mentor people, then please um, take a look at our website, which is www.futureleadersmentoring.com and tap the join us button and we will be in touch. So until next time, thanks everybody. And we will hear from you again. Cheers. Yeah, Bye. Bye. Yeah.